want to thank everyone who's done the readings today, and I just want to thank Megan and her team for all the work that they've put into this and helping to organize this service, and, and for all the kids who've been a part of helping to decorate our sanctuary. Thank you all so much. And remember, I also meant to say this earlier, that we do have a few Advent books left down here. So if you didn't pick one up last week, pick one up today. The readings began on uh, Friday, but you can easily catch up uh, since it's on the 3rd of December today, right? So good news there. You know, so much of our Christmas decor, maybe you've noticed, is centered around the idea of hope. You know, the evergreen trees and plants remind us that, that the, the, the cold of winter uh, and the gray of winter will give way to the green of spring, that new life will come forth once more. Lights are symbols of hope that remind us in these ever-lengthening, darkened days of December that the light will come in the morning and that soon the days will begin to grow longer once again. Hope. It's something that all people long to have, right? I mean, we all wait for better days to come. We wait for sorrow and pain to pass away. We hope for new beginnings and second chances and fresh opportunities. The people of Israel also longed for hope. Throughout their history, first as slaves in Egypt and then a nation wandering in the wilderness, and then as exiles in Babylon and, and even as people oppressed in their own land. Isaiah chapter 40, if you will turn with me to there, it's written to a people who were about to be conquered and carried away into exile. And God issues these words of hope to this nation who are soon going to suffer for 70 years. God's temple would be destroyed. The city of Jerusalem laid low. The nation abolished. Their land stripped away from them. God's people would languish in exile and give up any hope of ever returning home. They were overtaken by despair, wondering if God had abandoned them. Was there any comfort left? Is there any hope? It's not that they doubted God's existence or His power. They knew quite well that God was and that God was a God of might. They knew that He was a God of wrath and justice because they had experienced that wrath. They had tasted God's judgment. You see, that's the bad news for sinful people. That God is holy and just. That He is a God who pours His wrath out on sin. What they wanted to know is, is there any hope for good news? Yes, God is holy and just, but isn't He also loving and merciful? He pours out wrath, but can He not also restore a broken nation? And as we begin Advent today, we may be asking similar questions. We, after all, live in a world that we are well aware is broken. And there's brokenness in our own lives as well. Maybe we find ourselves feeling like we're in spiritual or emotional exile from God, from family, from friends. Maybe we feel bound by guilt and shame, hurtful habits, doubt and despair. We may also wait, lamenting our condition, longing for God to set things right in our world, in our lives, in our homes. We pray and we watch for signs of His presence. Just as Israel needed to hear these words of comfort, we need to hear these words of comfort, especially since we know that they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's look at Isaiah 40. We've already heard a few of these verses this morning. Verse 1 we see Emmanuel. We see God's comforting presence. 
Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. In this vision, Isaiah is transported to God's heavenly court and he hears God speaking not just to him, but to the angelic hosts. And God is no longer speaking words of judgment, which is already done in Isaiah up to this time. He's spoken the words of judgment. Isaiah has conveyed these words of judgment. But now God is speaking words of hope and comfort to His people who are soon to experience the pain of exile. This word comfort has a parallel in the Greek. We've talked about it recently a couple of times. It's the Greek word paraclete which means one who comes alongside. It's the word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16. Think about this. God the Father sends Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside us as our comforter, counselor, helper, and advocate. And notice here in this verse the pronouns. Comfort my people, says your God. This is the language of God's covenant relationship with Israel. It echoes the words God spoke to Israel on Mount Sinai in Exodus 6-7 where He said, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. What God is saying here is He's reminding them. He's hearkening back to that verse. He's reminding the people of Israel that He's not abandoned them. He's not forgotten or forsaken them. He is going to come alongside them. And just as He delivered their ancestors from slavery in Egypt, He will deliver them from exile in Babylon. These are words of comfort that God is telling both Isaiah and His angels to speak to His people Israel. And to proclaim to them our second point this morning, what we see in the second verse, good news of great joy. And that is pardon for sin. Look at verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over, her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. Her time of hard service is is over. That can also be translated, her warfare has ended. It's the picture of a soldier who's having served his time in battle and now he is ready to come home. He's done his duty. His job is finished. He wants to go home. Her hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned. That word pardon means that their record is going to be expunged. Their guilt will be erased. He says that she has received double for all her sins. In other words, Israel has received God's judgment in full. There's no more wrath to be poured out. Now is the time for mercy and restoration and reconciliation. And then we come to verses 3 through 8 where we read the prophecy of the one who would come to make all of this possible. The one who's going to come and bring comfort. The one who's going to make the pardon a reality to God's people we see Him say, prepare the way for the glory of the Lord in verses 3 through 8. He says, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord 
has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God remains forever. So the people of Israel are hearing that, that, hey, there's comfort. There's, There's joy to be had because God is going to pardon your sin. But then the question to them became... When and how is this going to happen? How is this kind of pardon, deliverance, and restoration going to be made possible? And God says it's because He Himself will come down. God with us, coming alongside of us, that will be the source of hope. This passage is so amazing because here God is commanding His angels in Isaiah to make known this news, this good news, that someone is going to come and prepare the way for God to come and prepare and deliver salvation for His people. Now, we know that this is fulfilled in who? Who came to prepare the way of the Lord? John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry was the fulfillment of this prophecy preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. John cried out in the wilderness a need to repent from sin. He proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was going to come and take away our sin. And in the Gospel of John, John tells us that Jesus' incarnation is what it talks about here in verse 5. The glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity will see it. Listen to what John 1.14 says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Of course, later in John's Gospel, Jesus says that He didn't come just to prepare the way, that He is the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. When God comes to not only prepare, but be the way of salvation, His glory is seen by all people. And truly, people all over the world for 2,000 years have seen and celebrated and proclaimed the glory of the Lord. Now, of course, for the people of Israel at this time, for the people of Judah, Isaiah's prophecy brings great hope, great comfort that God has not abandoned them, that He still loved them. They were still His people, and He was still their God. But justice has to be served. Wrath has to be poured out. Sin has to be punished and paid for before forgiveness and restoration can be made possible. And on the cross, that's what God did. He poured out His wrath on His perfect Son for our sin. Jesus paid the price. He gave His life for you and for me for the wrongs that we had done so we could experience the mercy and grace of the Father. That's the gospel of hope. And listen, no matter how bleak things may be in your life, no matter how bad things may be in the world, no matter how royally you may have messed things up, this is the gospel of hope that God has not forsaken us that we can experience forgiveness and peace and pardon and new life. And that's why in verses 9 through 11, we're told to, as we will sing in a few moments, go tell it on the mountain. 
And what are we telling? We're telling that the good shepherd is coming. The good shepherd is coming. Look at verse 9. He says, Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength and His power establishes His rule. His wages are with Him and His reward accompanies Him. He protects His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them in the fold of His garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Now we know this is fulfilled 2,000 years ago when the host of heaven, the angel choir, appeared to shepherds on a hillside. And what did they do? They proclaimed good news of great joy. What did they say? They said, go to Bethlehem, look in that manger, here is your God. That God, wrapped in human flesh, was and is the good shepherd of His people. And because of Jesus, because of Emmanuel, God with us, we can experience His mercy, we can experience reconciliation, we can be restored to right relationship with God because Jesus, the Lamb of God, suffered our punishment for us. And He is still the God who is with us because through the Holy Spirit, He is that Comforter who comes alongside us every day. Jesus right now sits at the right hand of the Father, daily making intercession for you and for me. The manger, the cross, the empty tomb is our proof that though God is just and holy and righteous, He is also merciful and loving. Amen? And that's the theme that the rest of Isaiah 40 reveals to us. It reveals to us the might and mercy of the Lord. He's both a God of might and a God of mercy. We just saw in verses 10 and 11. I mean, verse 10, what's he talk about? He talks about the Lord coming with strength, His power establishing His rule. But then in verse 11, look at that tender language. He protects His flock like a shepherd. He gathers His lambs in His arms. He carries them in the fold of His garment. He even gently leads those little lambs that are still nursing. We go from this power and might to such tender, intimate, loving care. Now, in verses 12 through 26, Isaiah describes God's ultimate power in terms of creation. He talks about His immense wisdom and knowledge, His sovereignty over all the nations. And and we end that section here, look at verses 25 and 26. God says, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls them out by name. Because of His great power and strength, not one of them is missing. I mean, we see God's might, His his immense power in creation. He calls the stars into being. He knows each and every one of them by name. He sustains their nuclear reactions throughout all of the centuries. He's a God of power and might. But then Isaiah reveals that this supremely powerful God of unending strength graciously gives us strength in our weakness. Look at verse 29. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. 
They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. And these last three verses really describe for us this great exchange that takes place between us and God. Jesus fulfills these verses. For through the incarnation, God took on the weakness of human flesh that we might have His strength. Jesus took our sin upon us and became sin for us that we might take upon ourselves His righteousness. Listen, when we hope in the Lord, we have the promise of renewed strength, renewed life, freedom. Maybe this morning you feel like you're stuck in a pit of despair and it's just sucking the life out of you. Well, guess what? Jesus is there to help you soar on wings as eagle. So take hope. Maybe you feel sometimes like you just can't take another step. You feel weary. You're stumbling. Take hope. Because in Jesus, you can run and walk no matter what's happening in your life and you won't grow weary and you won't be faint. Our hope is the promise that there's something happening in our lives. That God is doing something in the world, something large and light-filled and life-giving. God is good. And He is God. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is with us working in our lives and speaking into our hearts and changing our lives from the inside out. That's what God is doing. And as we're soaring and walking and running with that promise, guess what? we have the awesome privilege and responsibility of taking this good news to other people. Because while you have found this hope, there are people in this world out there still looking for it. There are people that you work with, you go to school with, that live across the street from you, that will gather with you when you meet with your family on Christmas Day. They don't know this hope. They don't have this light of life within them. And we are to join Isaiah and the angelic hosts and those shepherds on that night in Bethlehem to proclaim the words of comfort and hope to a world that's in desperate need of both. That's our blessing and it's our responsibility. You know, that kind of hope can come in a lot of different forms. It can come in the form of a shoebox full of toys or a grocery bag full of food, or carolers at somebody's door, or nativity being displayed. These are symbols of hope for children and for families in our communities, in our nation, and around the world. And we see these symbols of hope. They're adorning our tree right now. They're all around us in our sanctuary. The the, the lights on this tree remind us of the purity and the life of Jesus Christ and all that He came to give and do For us, may these stories, may these symbols and lights remind us of the grace and the love and the hope that we find in God, in Jesus Christ alone. Just as the people of Israel longed for God to come and deliver them, just as they longed for that Messiah to come who came 2,000 years ago, we also long and hope for Jesus to come again, don't we? Come, Lord Jesus, is the cry of the church. should be our prayer every day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And we look forward to that day that He does come and He puts all the broken things back together. He makes all things new. He sets all things right. Maybe this morning you're crying for Jesus just to come into your life today. You need the light of life 
to shine in your heart. You need to taste and experience this hope that Isaiah talked about, this comfort. Listen, no matter your past, no matter your sins, no matter your hurts or habits or hang-ups that you have, there is hope. Because God does forgive. God does heal. God does speak. God does change lives. God still puts the broken pieces back together. Maybe this morning when we sing in just a moment, you need to come today and experience the hope of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not just enough to sit in a pew. It's not just enough that your parents were Christians. It's not just enough that you try to be a good person. The Christmas story tells us that the only hope we have is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If there was any other way for us to be forgiven and go to heaven, God would not have taken on flesh and blood. He would not have suffered and died on that cross and bore our sins. We celebrate Christmas because we need a Savior. Do you know that Savior? I pray you would come today and trust Jesus Christ to be your hope. Maybe even as Christians, you know, we, just because we become Christians doesn't mean that life is easy, amen? We still struggle. We still live in a fallen, broken world. Maybe you're dealing with some situations in your life that if you were honest, seem hopeless. Maybe you've been praying about something and you just don't see the answer you're looking for. Maybe you're struggling with something you just can't seem to get on the right side of. I invite you to come as we sing and maybe lay that struggle, lay that sin, lay that worry, lay that anxiety at the feet of Jesus and ask Him to give you fresh hope for whatever it is you're facing today. Maybe God is speaking to you in some other way to come and you're not with our church family to answer His call to ministry or service. Whatever God is speaking to you, would you stand and pray with me and let's come in obedience and respond. Father, thank You. Thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank You that through Him we can experience that comfort, that peace, that pardon that You promised so long ago through the prophet Isaiah. God, I pray that You would be that hope for the people of Israel today, Lord, as they are facing truly an existential threat. But God, even more than that, I pray that those people in Israel, Lord, whether they're Arab, Jew, Muslim, Lord, I pray they would come to see the truth of Jesus Christ. I pray You would reveal Yourself to them. Those this day that are in Jerusalem, in Nazareth, in Bethlehem, in the very places where You came down and You broke through into history, Lord, may they come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And may people here, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, maybe even someone who's hearing me at this moment, Lord, may they do the same, to put their hope and their trust in You. Not in a religion, but in a relationship. Not in their good deeds, but in the eternal goodness of Jesus Christ. And may they experience anew today, for the first time today, that hope, that peace and joy that comes through You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.